in our culture at large, and indeed for centuries, people have recognized in the arts and the artistic experience transcendence. They will very often use language of spirituality or I was taken outside myself. But when it comes to the transcendence of God and the Christian faith, I want to say the Bible urges us to think of that in particular ways. Hello, my friends. This is your host, Stephen Roach, and we have made it to the halfway point in our discussions on art and the urge for transcendence. And if you've been following the podcast this season, I would imagine your mind is just as blown as mine at all of the wisdom and creative insights my guests have shared with us this season. There's been so much richness within these conversations, I'm finding myself going back and giving a second, sometimes even a third listen, and learning things that I missed the first time around. But before we move on to the next phase of our discussion, I wanted to draw our attention back to a previous conversation you may have missed from season five. And the segment I'm going to share with you today comes from a conversation I had with Scottish theologian Jeremy Begbie. And this segment of our conversation just tied in too perfectly to this season's theme for me to leave it in the past. My opening question to Jeremy in this section refers to his book, Redeeming Transcendence in the Arts. And if you're interested, you can see the show notes of this episode for a link to listen back to the full conversation with Jeremy. So thanks so much for listening and thank you for being a part of the Makers and Mystics podcast. I'm curious if you could elaborate on how you see the role of the arts as bearing witness to the transcendence of God, not just the audible or the visual, but that multi-sensory experience of God. Tell us about that and some of the heart behind why you wrote this book. Yes, of course. The point of writing of the book was that, is to recognize that in our culture at large, and indeed for centuries, people have recognized in the arts and the artistic experience um, transcendence. They will very often use language of spirituality or I was taken outside myself or I have a sense of the infinite or whatever, that thousands speak this way about the arts, that it gives them an experience of what they would call transcendence, mm -hmm. what we would naturally call transcendence. I want to take that very seriously. But when it comes to the transcendence of God and the Christian faith, I want to say the Bible urges us to think of that in particular ways, wonderful ways, but very particular ways, that the Bible doesn't think of God as a kind of bare infinity. But the Bible thinks of God, of course, as Trinity and as a God supremely of love. So I'm trying to rethink in that book transcendence, but in, in Christian biblical terms, rather than the way our culture will tend to think of transcendence as just a kind of bare otherness, like a kind of naked, amorphous infinity. The Bible has no such conception of amorphous infinity. It speaks of God, uh, the God of Jesus Christ. When we do that, I think we find transcendence has two strands of meaning. The first is otherness, that God is other than the world. That doesn't mean God is separate from the world or indifferent or totally apart or having nothing to do with the world. It just means that God is other than the world. Uh, the second strand is God's uncontainability, that God cannot be trapped by the world. God is free. Um, God, we can never get our fingers around God. The world can't imprison God. 
Now, if we rethink those in Christian terms, we have to say we have to do that in terms of love. To say that God is Trinity, one of the things that that has to mean is that God is love in his innermost being. The Father loves the Son, loves the, fa- the Son loves the Father in the Spirit from all eternity. And so God's otherness and God's uncontainability must be understood in, that ter- in those terms. When God is other than the world, God is loving the world. He's not just other in a bare sense. God is committed to the otherness of the world as other. So we needn't be ashamed of being creatures. We're not gods. The, the created world is not God. So when the created world is really doing its thing and doing its well, it's glorifying God in its very createdness. When the arts are really doing their thing and glorifying God, they're not trying to be God. They're a bit of this created world, you could say, doing a wonderful thing. And when artists make things, they're making things that glorify God in their very creativeness. Um, I mean, some examples, you say, other, other than music, uh, a lot of people point to the Dutch landscape tradition of the 17th century, uh, yeah, 17th century. When the landscape is painted as glorifying God, but it's not painted as divine, it's painted in all its beauty, and it's beautiful as created. And so when it's glorifying God, it's not trying to be something other than created. But at the same time, Dutch landscape painting is very realistic. It's realistic that this world has been infected, corrupted, nature included, by us. So it's not sentimental. It's saying there's an underlying beauty, but it's an aching beauty. Creation is still to reach its goal. That's an example, I think, where art can witness to the otherness, that is God's loving commitment to the world as other. Uh, in a powerful way. But it can happen through any of the arts as yeah. well. Artists are a funny lot, you know, I mean, <laughs> apart from yourself, Stephen, uh, because they're always trying to be God. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, it's a, it seems built into the human condition, sadly. Mm-hmm. It's called sin uh, when we try to jump out of our finitude. Right. And that, that's the kind of primal sin. Now, as far as uncontainability is concerned as well, well, I think music is probably the supreme art form in that respect because... Um, because it's always kind of bursting beyond language. It's always bursting beyond its own bounds. But again, this is all about love, that the uncontainability of God is the uncontainability of his love, of his abundant commitment to the world and to each other. So whenever we are reminded of God's goodness in the arts, in a way we realize we can't contain that goodness, um, Bach's music is the obvious example, I think, of that. That he when, he when he's when he's setting a text from the resurrection, for instance, he just goes on adding bits, mm-hmm. as it were, to say, whatever you say, whatever you write about this, there's always more. Mm-hmm. So the 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 best art that witnesses to the uncontainability of God is always exceeding its bounds. It's always saying, We've said a bit, we've done a bit, but there's always more. And I think built into the arts is this thing, what I call, um, well, simply metaphor, the idea, the idea that um, when you bring two things together that don't really belong together, that's what metaphor is about, you create a little explosion of meaning. And however much you say about it, it'll always burst out of what you say about it. Art is endlessly evocative, elusive. That doesn't mean it can mean any, anything you want, but it means it always means more than you can say. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, can be a powerful witness to the God who always 
exceeds anything that we can say and anything that we can do. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you along those lines, because you were talking about transcendence and how the Bible handles the transcendence of God, and that it's not just this ethereal force, but that it's a triune being. Yeah. And I began to think that art, for a lot of people that don't accept the witness of the Christian faith, art becomes a surrogate religion in so. many ways. And I think that... For me, for many years, it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it was as well. And I think it's because, well, you use this phrase in your book, our culture's spiritual impulse. Yes. That there's something inside the human being that longs to connect with something greater than itself. Absolutely. And so I'm curious how you see art from a Christian perspective as being able to speak into that longing of the human heart. That's a great point. Um, yeah, that longing is undoubtedly there. Charles Taylor speaks about our culture as inhabiting what he calls an imminent frame which means a way of looking at the world that doesn't need God. You need necessarily be atheists. Uh, a lot of Christians spend their life in the imminent frame. That is, they're kind of practicing atheists day to day. God doesn't actually play a major part in, in decisions or whatever. I mean, myself included. <laughs> so it's a kind of practical atheism our culture has got used to. Um, but, but, but whether an atheist or not, most of us have, deep down, I believe, or you could say hardwired uh, to believe that there must be more than this, that the world simply can't explain itself. A lot of it's interesting. A lot of scientists they've done. I don't know about this country, but in the UK they've done surveys among scientists. Of a very high percentage of scientists read their horoscope every morning. I mean, high-ranking physicists, for instance, example. It's as if yes, that can do so much explaining. But there's an awful lot it can't explain. Mm -hmm. And actually, I know many, many scientists who are passionate about the arts for this sort of reason. Uh, of course, science doesn't have to. Doesn't the scientist doesn't have to believe that the world is a closed system? There's nothing in science which says that. But there's a pressure of our culture to say, well, that's going. The world can explain itself. It doesn't need God, basically, on that. And the arts, then people will jump into very often because the arts precisely because they can't contain the realities that they speak about, because they're endlessly evocative and endlessly elusive, they seem to speak of another possibility. The arts resist something called reductionism, or what I, I call it uh, nothing buttery, is when you say, well, we are nothing but physics and chemistry, we are nothing but atoms and neurons and protons or whatever. That flat way of looking at the world, the arts naturally resist. Yeah. Um, the way of looking at the world when you think if you can analyze something into its constituent parts, you've explained it. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the arts don't work that way. They put things together. They don't take things apart. Right, right. So the arts naturally resist reductionism. And I think we as Christians need to tap into that. Mm -hmm. But we need to tap into it as Christians. <laughs> right. <laughs> and not at that point be ashamed of the gospel. That doesn't mean you'd download heavy doctrine every time you have a conversation with an agnostic artist. Of course not. It means in the back of your mind, or at least informing your mind, are notions of transcendence, mm -hmm. spirit, God, <laughs> otherness, all these words. But uh, the back of your mind, they, they should be informed scripturally. 
and in terms of the tradition. Now, I'll give you an example. I think I mentioned the book there, though you may not have got there yet. So <laughs> it's right at the end. You have to persevere to the end. It's the story of an artist I met in Vancouver once when I was teaching there. He came, a, a delightful man, painter, a very good painter. Mm -hmm. He came to my class, not a Christian, very explicitly not a Christian, came to some of the classes I was teaching in a, in a college there. And he asked to come and see me after one of the classes. So, so we shouted, and he said, I'm intrigued by your sort of Christian thing. He said, the other day, I was walking back to my apartment after your class, and I looked around me, and of course, Vancouver, I mean, these mountains and the blue sea, and I mean, it was just incredible, dazzling landscape. And he said, I had a sudden intuition that this didn't have to be. <laughs> it didn't have to be like this either. Yeah. And he said, does your Christianity thing have anything to say to that? Yeah. Funny you should say that, I said. <laughs> and then came the talk. Now, there was heaps of conversation before that when he talked about his work as an artist. Because he was looking at the world as an artist, right. you see. He wasn't just looking at it as just a kind of landscape on its own. He was thinking about actually how he would paint it, how he would bring out his sense of the, how can I put it? the givenness of it in a, in a very rich sense. It didn't have to be. So he was looking at it as an artist. He had this intuition of transcendence. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a disservice for me to say, yes, that's just God, and don't worry about all this Bible and Christian and dogma, and, you know, so forget all that. You're already there. You're a Christian, really. You just don't know it. That's nonsense. Right. It's equally a bad strategy to say, it's deeply sinful, that, and you shouldn't be having these thoughts. Now forget all that artist stuff as well and go to a proper Bible class and you'll learn what's what. No, of course not. You take that intuition and you say, by the grace of God, you hope there's some really good stuff there, and there <laughs> seems to be. Now, how can the Holy Spirit work through what I say to bring that intuition into, really fr into a fruitful conversation where he's made more curious about the Christian faith and what it can offer? So in that situation, I talked about, yes, well, of course it's got something to say because it says that God is a giving God in his very nature that love belongs to who he is, right. um, that he created this world not because he had to. The world didn't have to exist, but he created it out of love, and he created it as a gift. And that's the kind of God we're dealing with, and that's the kind of transcendence that I believe is now breaking through to you mm -hmm. as an artist as you walk home after my lecture. Right. That's what I want to believe. Yeah. Um, and that was a great conversation. He was, yeah. It was wonderful. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you a question again on this subject of transcendence and how that interplays with the arts because when I think of transcendence I do think of something that goes beyond limits something that's not containable yeah and so in that regard I can see certain characteristics of the nature of God but at the same time there's a particularity or an eminence or that incarnational aspect of God and so I know from you, or what I'm gathering from the book, Redeeming Transcendence in the Arts, yep. I want to know, what does it mean to redeem transcendence in the arts? Because you're saying something more than there's just this intuition. You're saying there's a particularity that distinguishes a Christian understanding of transcendence. Can you speak into that a little further? Yes. Um a lot of talk about transcendence will tend to be very general, particularly if we're talking about the transcendence of God. People will 
will speak very generally about God's presence to the world. And often that comes out of a, a quite proper desire to speak to the world at large and not just to Christians and not just within the church, understandably. But I think we need to be pretty clear on that, that in the New Testament, the writers are seeing the world through this very particular historical happening in Jesus Christ, in the life, death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus. Uh, that is giving them the lens through which they see the whole. So it's not that they're not interested in the whole, the creation, no, or interested in, it's not as if they're not interested in what happens beyond the church. Of course they are. But they're interpreting it always, over and over again, through what's happened in Jesus. And the more they focus on what happens in Jesus, they realize this God who's revealed himself there is, is a threefold God. This, uh, Jesus is the one who speaks of his Abba, his Father, and the power of the Spirit now works in us so that we can share in that. So it becomes Trinitarian. And my concern is simply, if we're going to address these issues in culture, let's not be ashamed of that particularity. Mm -hmm. Now, you talk about limits and so forth. A lot of transcendence talk happens on the edges. We say, here's where language breaks down. God must therefore be beyond language. Let's be careful of that. There's a truth there. Language can't contain God. We can't have him in language. We can't wrap our linguistic fingers around him in that sense. No. But if we take Jesus seriously, what we're saying there, Jesus has come as a human being. And what's he done? He's spoken. Mm -hmm. He's used language. So he hasn't just met us at the edge. He's met us at the center of human life, the, where we speak. And he has gathered disciples around him who speak. He has conversations. Though disciples create a community, what does the community do? It speaks. So God has reformed language from the inside. Mm. He hasn't just met us at the edge. I mean, that's, just, that's, that's one example how we need to rethink transcendence in New Testament terms. And therefore, we can say quite rightly, God transcends language and that God can't be contained by language. But that doesn't mean we stop speaking. Right. <laughs> I mean, if I say, I say to my wife, uh, Rachel, I say, I love you, uh, that's hopelessly inadequate. It doesn't contain the truth. It doesn't, it doesn't grasp it, but it's still true. Mm -hmm. It's still true. It's still got a purchase on the reality I'm speaking about. Mm -hmm. And God, we want to say in the Christian faith, God has made that kind of speech about God possible. We can say God is love. He's given us permission. He's authorized us to say that. But when we say it, it can never encapsulate everything we want to say. Of course right. not. But there's always more we can say. Mm -hmm. And somehow we need to hold both those together. Uh, and we need to remember that in the arts um, as well. And the arts, how do the arts fit into that? Well, some of the, let's say the nonverbal arts, when you bring music into connection with words, I think one of the things that music can do is remind you as you're using those words that those words can never say it all. Um, again, well, because almost any really good setter of words, any good song is like this. The music is bringing something that the words can't bring. And very often it's taking those words and it's, it's saying the dimensions of these words, which are not spelt out at this moment by these words, <laughs> right? But are nevertheless there. And there may be other dimensions which this music suggests to you about these words. Mm -hmm. But do you see what I'm getting at? Mm -hmm. Which kind of bursts beyond, bursts right. beyond the words. Right. So the music's often, oh, music's often a great reminder 
Yeah. That language can't do it all. Yeah. But that's not to denigrate language. Right. It's to say language is finite, uh, even though true, um, or can be true, it's finite. It can't do everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you used a phrase in the book that comes to mind on that when you said, the spell of the sublime is such that it makes us believe the unrepresentable is somehow truer than the representable. Golly, that's good for you. Did I write that? That's fair. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if not, I'll take credit for that one. Now, you mentioned the sublime. You see, that, that's an idea that came up, very powerful idea, and it's still very much around in our culture. And it arose in the, in the 18th century. And the sublime, what they're referring to is an experience that's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. You stand in front of a mountain scene. You think, oh, wow, this is amazing. Or you see a surfer, a tiny surfer, and a huge wave behind the surfer. It's an f- experience of being overwhelmed. What you say in America, awesome. It's an <laughs> experience of awesomeness uh, uh, that exceeds anything we can grasp with concepts and anything we can say. And this became a very uh, powerful focus of interest in the 18th and later in the 19th century as well, and quickly got assimilated to the arts because it was said the arts can really do this. Mm-hmm. The danger of it is it can suggest that if you're dealing with the sublime, you can and should leave language, say, or pictures or concepts behind, and that language is always going to pull you away from the infinite mm-hmm. because the infinite is utterly beyond language. And so you're left, I'm afraid, in the mind very often with this very amorphous, very indistinct, cloudy, hazy infinity mm-hmm. that's very overpowering. I mean, the, the earlier understandings of the sublime, the sublime was something you're really quite frightened of. Mm-hmm. And then we need to rethink all that Christianly. Uh, God's infinity is not something, first of all, we should be frightened of. It's first of all, God's love and judgment comes out of his love. So it, it shouldn't be overpowered. If we're overpowered by God, it's overpowered by his goodness. First of all, yes, the judgment will come, but that's always an outworking of his love. Um, also in the sublime, we shouldn't think it means we have, therefore, to leave language behind. Why not? Because God's taken language seriously. Yeah. He's come as a human being. He's, he's interacted with us as speaking human beings. Mm-hmm. The history of Israel as well takes words seriously. Mm-hmm. So it does, God doesn't live in a non-linguistic zone, so to speak. Right. Uh, he's taken language seriously. Yeah. So the sublime is a very, very powerful idea in modern culture, although a lot of people would never use the language in, in the strict sense. And that's what I'm getting at there. It's almost as if we think if you can't speak it, it must be more profound mm-hmm. than if you can. Right. That's a big danger. Yeah. Whereas what I hear you saying, and correct me if I'm wrong in this, but it seems like for the Christian, and particularly for the Christian artist, we have an opportunity to find the sublime, to find the transcendence of God in the particular. Exactly. Everything we're searching for in the sublime, and that we're longing for and yearning for, God has already provided, Mm -hmm. and He's provided in a way that makes us realize some of our searching was for the wrong thing or for the wrong kind of experience. Mm -hmm. That's the key thing. That's very good. That's, you, you put that very well. I ought to have you as my agent. <laughs> I'll send you an invoice for my work. It's not, I mean, of course, I mean, I, I, you know, I, Turner's landscapes, for instance, are just kind of overwhelming. Um, and indeed, I do a lot of mountain climbing and whatever, and I know that sense. It's wonderful. Yeah. But I think since becoming a Christian, I look at those mountains and I say, what an amazing gift of God. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
this beauty speaks of ultimately of the beauty of God. Yeah. This is gift. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't have to be like this. Right. And I didn't have to be here. To yes. Repair, but I am here. Thank you, Lord. Mm-hmm. That, that's different from saying, wow, this is overpowering. I'm pretty terrified. Um, but wow, it's awesome, and I just love the experience. Uh-huh. <laughs> Those two are very different things. They are very different, yes. Um, yeah. So it's not as if Christians must be frightened of mm-hmm. landscape or nature or whatever, but if you see it through the eyes of Christ and the Trinity, you're always seeing it as, as a love gift. Yes. As something that didn't have to be, but was because of the goodness of God. Yes. That's a very different thing. It is. And I love that you keep going back to that. It didn't have to be this way, but he made it this way. Absolutely. God didn't have to create the world. That's right. But he did. Yes. And it makes sense, given the God of love that he is. Mm -hmm. Now, that's an incredibly important thing, because we tend to view the word, you know, two words, two senses of the word given. Uh, One is when we say it is a given fact, which is a kind of bare, it's just the way things are. Right. So... I look, well, I look at you. I look at the things around. I just say, no, it's just given. They're just there. That kind of neutral thereness. Mm-hmm. Most of us live our lives like that. Right. Um, but in the Christian faith, nothing is ever just there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it didn't have to be. Yeah. And it didn't have to be in this form. So th- you and this interview, it didn't have to be, but it is. Mm-hmm. And the wise thing is then to perceive it as gift. An opportunity. Very good. What can come out of this that glorifies God? Which is rather than just, it's another given appointment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Amazing. That, that's a hard. That's a hard thing because most most of our lives are practical atheists. We look at the world; it's just there. Mm-hmm. It's just there. <laughs> I love that distinction between this neutral given and then given. Very different. It's interesting. We've taken that word given and just neutralized it. Mm-hmm. It's like the word nature. The uh, Bible has no, has no word <laughs> like nature uh, because in non-Christian world, nature is just, it's just there. It's the non-human world that's just there. No, the Bible only speaks of creation. Mm-hmm. Now, the minute you've used that word creation, you've implied a creator. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the natural world is never just there. It's always God's creation. Yes. Always. Yes. And that's the way we're always to look at it, that God's committed to it, and one day it will be recreated. Yeah. That's a very different perception of it nature. It is. Um, nature, you could say, it's one, of the, it's one of the worst inventions of the modern age, the concept of nature. Wow. It's a thought, though, Yeah. Because you just neutralized it. Right. You just turn it into bare physical fact. Sure. Thank you for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. If you've been inspired by this or other Makers and Mystics episodes, Please consider becoming a monthly patron to help us continue our work of advocating for the arts. Be sure to give us a follow on Instagram at Makers and Mystics and see the show notes of this episode for links to today's guest. We'll see you again next week. And until then, keep creating. The world needs your art.